The first sacred text this morning is from John 17, 11, verses 11 through 13, page 105 in the New Testament of the Pew Bible. And it's, um, this is a Jesus actually praying to God. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. The next scripture reading is from Acts chapter 1, 15 through 17 and 21 through 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons. And he said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, through David, foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And the final sacred text this morning comes from John 17, verses 14 to 19. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Remember, this is Jesus praying still. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Thus ends the reading. Thank you, Annie. There is so much there in these readings. Thank you for getting it clearly out there for us. Appreciate it. Um, so, I kind of changed things around a little bit today uh, and had uh, Annie read part of, the, of this John reading and then move into the Acts reading and then come back to the ending of the John reading. And I didn't even do the entire John reading. There's even more that it starts with uh, in the lectionary cycle. Um, but I kind of thought that this was enough. It's, it's kind of fascinating to put them side by side. So you, you, have, to, you have to kind of picture this here. I mean, here's Jesus. Um, he knows what's coming. He already, in a sense, is talking in this reading about how he's not in this world anymore. He, he knows where he's headed. You know, he has a sense of that, at least. And um, maybe it's appropriate that on Mother's Day, this, is, uh, this reading is here because um, Jesus is kind of worrying about his disciples like a mother might worry about their children. You, know? you kind of hear that in there. Kind of, God, what's going to happen? Father in heaven, what's going to happen to them now that I'm not in this, going to be in this world? And, and how are they going to take care of themselves? I've been protecting them. Are you going to protect them? How is this, how is this all going to happen? Um, and he even refers to one that, the wayward children, you might say, in Judas Iscariot, um, destined to be lost um, in, in this passage. Um, so that kind of sets a tone of where Jesus is at and what his desires are. Um, but do remember, okay, as Annie said, this is a prayer, right? Um, how many of you take your prayers and write them down and then distribute them? Especially your really personal ones. Um, please do remember that John's Gospel is written uh, a good 60 years after Jesus would have done this praying. Alright? So this is a prayer, it's a story told imagining what it must have been like for Jesus at that time. And from everything that that early Christian community knew about Jesus, this is likely how he prayed at this point. Um, hopefully capturing the energy and the spirit and the desire and the hopes and even the worries of Jesus. And then we have the Acts of the Apostles, which was also written long after. And, you know, it's widely believed among scripture scholars that the author of the Gospel of Luke, that this was like volume two. Volume one was about Jesus. Volume two is about how the disciples continue on and how things spread and grow after Jesus is no longer walking in their midst anymore. And this is the very first chapter of that, the very first chapter. And so, the, right before this passage, um, all the disciples are, are named for us again. And I think it's, it's kind of helpful as we consider how Jesus was praying, thinking of these particular people. 
right? And what was going to happen to them? So remember their names. I know we're not in Sunday school where we probably could have memorized it. Now we couldn't rattle off the names of all the disciples, right? Peter and James and John. Real people on a human journey. Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas son of James and that's 11 and then there's the crossed out one at least on my page here Judas Iscariot and so the disciples, one of the very first things that they seem to be in a rush to do is to be complete again. Right? You ever had that feeling? Something's been lost, you want to be complete again. Something's missing. So they here are trying to replace and get back to 12. Replace Judas Iscariot. But, but, but stop for a second. One of the things I, I just so wish if I could have been part of putting the Bible books together, I would have liked to have done a lot more on um, after doing a lot of research, is who were all of these disciples? What was their lives like? What interactions did they have with each other? What was their relationship with each other? Do you imagine it was idyllic, like any small group of people get together? We have certain glimpses of it, like, you know, they're asking Jesus questions like, you know, they're talking to each other and they're wondering who's the greatest and things like that, you know. So we get a little bit of sense of how some of that tension might, might go on. Um, but the bring to the full here, not some idyllic group of disciples who lose their way for a short period of time but then get on track and everything's perfect again, but, you know, they have relationships. They have lives, they have relationships. And what, what was their relationship with Judas Iscariot? The people, the person that they knew. What stories were they telling about him and about what happened? Um, you know. And so now, in the desire to be complete again, they get to 12. Now, it's interesting that they, they, they have the urge to do that now because later on, um, the, we hear about disciples who die and are gone. And we don't hear about any desire to replace them at that point. You know? Um, it's a different time and a different connection. Um, so, I, I, just, I just love the energy of this passage in, uh, in trying to replace Judas Iscariot. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two Matthias and Joseph with many other names um, to take the place in ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they're praying. Show us the way, God. I love it because I, th I think maybe their, their prayers kind of work like, like ours do, especially if we're praying uh, as a group, you know, Praise a group, and the hope is God will give us all the same answer, right? Um, and and, and they're, they're calling for the Spirit to move in their midst, and but what do they do? 
They cast lots. Which was a traditional way in religious circles to say, if we cast lots, we are basically taking the control away from ourselves and all of our struggles about what should happen. And in the casting of lots, which is a random sort of thing, may God's action work in the midst of that. You know? Should we try that at the next congregational meeting? We'll put out... Uh, We'll put out different options for every vote and then we'll just cast lots and say, oh, that's the one we're going with. What's that? Only if I dress the part. <laughs> Only if you outfit me, uh, Cassandra. <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, this was a very human process that they were all going. You know, Acts of the Apostles written so long later after this all actually happened. Um, it was reminding me how stories that are told with truth still change in how they're told over time. And they tend to get shorter the more you get away from the high energy of it, uh, right? So when I was reading this this week, I was reflecting on the times when I left the Catholic priesthood. And within two and a half years, I think it was, Andy and I, who met while I was a Catholic priest, she was working on staff as a layperson in the same church I was in, um, and had something to do with, uh, with my timing of my departure, although I have a funny feeling I would have eventually left that anyway. Um, but, um, but I remember for those first few years, there were so many dramatic things that happened to me. I didn't have time to find them, but one of them was um, that I wrote a letter to all my fellow priests in the Archdiocese of Denver where I was. I wrote personal letters, handwritten letters, not typed ones, to my best friends in seminary, four of them. And you may have heard this from me before, but to this day I'm still waiting for an answer from my four best friends from seminary who I wrote personal letters to, never got a response. The 40, the stack of responses, 40 responses I got from all the other priests, many of them I didn't only knew as acquaintances, um, but I got 40 responses and they're so varied and they're so funny. They, they broke all my stereotypes like things do often, right? Um, and, you know, the, the people I thought who were like real conservative and didn't want the church to change and all that sort of thing, they're the ones who wrote me the loving letters. And the ones who were progressive and wanted women priests and married priests and all these kinds of crazy things that was happening in the 70s and into the 80s, um, you know, they're the ones who wrote me weird letters like, what, what are you trying to say? You know? um, it was really kind of interesting. But these stories, I would tell these stories, and then Andy and I would tell the stories of our coming together, some of them which were dramatic and crazy. And when people first asked us to tell the stories, it was, it was like they were just thirsting to hear every little detail. And we needed to tell every detail. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life? Something happened so traumatic, so dramatic. Maybe it ended good, maybe it didn't. And when somebody's interested, you need to tell every little tiny detail. And then I remember a few years later after that, 
there came a time when someone would hear about what had happened to Andy and I and how we had left the Catholic Church and all the drama about it and the intrigue around it. And they wanted to know every little bit of detail. And we're looking at each other saying, oh, we've got some summary stories now. (laughs) We worked so fast it, we didn't need to tell it. You know? And now I could go on an elevator ride to the 12th story or something and tell what to me seems like the complete summary of the story um, in that amount of time. Um, So isn't it true that even though my summary story now, for me, contains within it the understanding of all of the details, but they're no longer included? In fact, if I tried to remember all the details, I don't remember them as precisely as I used to. I should have recorded those early ones. Um, uh, And yet, to me, it's the same story but it's told very different. So what I really want to know from the disciples is what's the long story with all the details? Why were they so anxious to get this 12th disciple replaced? And what were their real feelings about Judas Iscariot? I mean, he must have had at least one best friend in the group, right? What did that person go through? What did that disciple go through? I think it's helpful for us when we read these scripture passages to look at our own stories, the people we know and the stories we tell, especially the most dramatic things that have happened in our life and the people that were around that. Um, and, and, and remember, this is what it was like for those disciples. I think it helps bring it more alive. It's not like reading the story to get, well, here's the point God wants you to have. We're meant to enter into these stories. The ending of this um, John prayer, the prayer from Jesus, um, one of the things that really sticks out to me is when Jesus says, they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. But earlier we hear him say they're in the world, but they don't belong to the world. That, there's another whole sermon in his, but, but it relates to the people we know and the stories we tell and the dramatic things in our life. The real question is, um, what and who do we belong to in this life? You know, in the stories that you tell about your life, what do you really belong to? What are you really centrally a part of? I know there's a lot of things in our life we try to belong, and you've had those experiences. You try to belong to some group, or you want to be part of this group of friends, or part of this organization, and it, the belonging never happens. Um, and part of what we learn in being followers of Jesus is that in following Jesus, what we really belong to is the self that we have that's created in the image and likeness of God that is unique. You know, We don't belong to somebody else's identity. We belong to that sacred identity of who we are. And I think that's part of what the disciples are probably struggling with that. Without Jesus there, you know, he said, I was always the one who explained things to them, protected them, and all of this sort of thing. Take care of them now. But now they've got to go on the journey to take care of each other and to figure out how they belong without Jesus walking in their midst, without being able to turn to him every time and say, so who is the greatest? I, I, I don't, I'm a little confused here. You know, and 
do you really want Peter leading us? Or, you know, what really do you want us to do next? And, you know, when you name Peter the rock and all that, was he supposed to be there for, for life? Or, you know, what are we supposed to do next? And are we always supposed to have 12 disciples? Or is there a magic number to that, to the 12 tribes of Israel? Or, you know, what, what's going on here? You know? But they have to go on their own journey now. And they have to figure out that story. And they can call upon God, but they might have to draw lots to figure it out. (laughs) And then they're going to have to reflect on what that experience is about. Um, So I invite us out of this to to let these stories here become much more alive. The, the, The dynamic prayer of Jesus, which is not meant to be some perfect published prayer. It's meant to be something very authentic after Jesus' journey with his disciples for these three years. Um, and he knows that the last chapter is about to happen. Um, and then bring alive all of these disciples. Say all their names. Say them out loud. And say, how did, how did you tell me more of the details? I want to know, how did you make it work? And then we need to do the same in our own lives. We need to do the same with the key and major dramatic events in our life and we need to do the same with who we are here as a church you know we're smaller than we used to be we're evolving in who is here Um, a lot of things are happening we need to look to each other and maybe not just say cast lots with these are ten things about who we are right now but maybe talk to each other and say what's important to you what's important to someone else over here What's important to us together? What is our story as we name each of us? People here. Who do we belong to? Who are we becoming? What is possible for us as we deepen our relationship to one another as followers of Jesus? Having to figure, like the disciples, some of it out without... Jesus right here to answer the questions for us. May we be blessed as we deepen our experience of being a small community following in the ways of Christ and learning from the real example of the disciples.